Good morning. Good to see you guys. Yeah, Brad was bragging about how he beat some people in bowling yesterday. And then I found out it was his wife and some children, so, you know, we're going to work on that humility thing. Romans 12, 3. Brad, Romans 12, 3. Well, it doesn't hurt to embellish a little bit. So this morning, uh, in keeping with Brad and Joe's decision, which I thought was a very wise decision, to um, look at a healthy church. Um, and that's what we've been doing for the last several weeks. Of course, you can never have a healthy church if you do not first have healthy church members. So I want to continue to consider what a healthy church member <clears throat> looks like. And we've been in Romans 12, as you guys know, and a couple of other passages. Um, I like that Joe in his prayer, I think he used, the, he used that called out ones. We've been talking a lot about that. That's Brad's fault. He brought in the Greek, you know, the um, ecclesia, the called out ones. We are the called out ones. Obviously, we are to be quite unique in the world. Um, Dr. Paul Brand was a, a Christian and a, and a surgeon. He, he wrote a book entitled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, where he catalogs some of the genius of God in the human body. And I know Brad has taught you guys so well, the whole fun fact for faith thing. I know you know more than your average person walking the street. You know that that uh, doctors and scientists have not fully even really touched on how marvelous the human body is. And I can't help, so this is my, Brad, this is my installment, Fun Fact for Faith. I'm going to interject it here. I don't know if you've taught the good folks about vision. Have you taught them about vision? You've taught them about this. Do it again. Okay. Uh, and as I read this description about what's happening when light reflects off me and, 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 and enters your eye, as I read this, I want you to listen to the verbs, okay? So listen to the verbs. You know, this is what science never explains. They, don't ever, they can't explain the verbs. They just leave them hanging there. Well, how did that verb do what that verb is doing? Of course, you and I know. But I just have to read this. I love this. I want to read it to you. When light, reflected light, bounces off me and strikes your retina, a photon interacts. How about that? Just happens. Photon interacts with a molecule called 11-cis-retinol, which rearranges, it rearranges within picoseconds to transretinol. Now, who knows what a picosecond is? Do you know what it is? You know what it is? He knows everything. You're really starting to get on my nerves a little bit. A picosecond is the time it takes for light to travel across the width of a human hair. Okay? You want to talk about fearfully and wonderfully made? You want to talk about that? The change, verb, in the shape of the retinol uh, molecule forces a change in the, the shape of the protein, rhodopsin, to which the retinol is, high, is tightly bound. The protein's metamorphosis alters its behavior, now called metarhodopsin 2. The protein sticks to another protein called transducin, which interacts with a molecule called GDP, blah, 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 blah. It goes on for pages. Can you see me this morning? 
That's, that's reason enough to worship God. Einstein was right. Everything's a miracle or nothing is. And the fact that you can see me and your brain can process that image, the fact that you can hear me and, and, your, and, and your brain can process the, the sound waves, it's all miraculous. Shame on you. Shame on me. If we're not constantly worshiping God for how fearfully and wonderfully we are made, as you know, David says so well in Psalm 139, 14. And you know, David says something there. He says, he says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows it. My soul knows it very well. So if we know it, what? If we know it, what? Humility happens, right? We realize we had to be designed. We, you know, there has to be an adequate first cause. We realize that. There's no question about that. I don't care what they say in biology. He has to be there. He has to be there. So we know it. And that knowing, it changes everything for us, right? We know he's there. We know he's there. So back to Dr. Brand's book. In it, he talks about a beggar he saw in Madras, India. The woman had a huge, grotesque fat tumor growing on her side. Um, the tumor was estimated to be equal to her body weight. It was prospering at her expense. Actually, it was starving her to death. Now, you guys, we all know what fat cells are. They're the storehouse for the body, each containing one tiny molecule of nutrition. When the body needs the nutrition, a healthy fat cell will release that molecule to the body. This woman's body, um, the fat cells were, were in mutiny. They were disloyal. They were not doing the job God had created for them to do. Dr. Brand writes, I've removed such tumors and they appear to be healthy. Fat cells bulging with shiny oil, except for one flaw, they've become disloyal and they've disregarded the body's needs and commands. The beggar in Madras gradually starved to death while the fat tumor engorged itself. He continues, mutinous cells are always a concern in the body. While some are benign in effect, others are malignant. Physicians fear no other malfunction more deeply than this. It is called cancer. Now, some of you have already connected the dots. What's the title of the sermon? You are my body. And you heard Joe read... The text, you heard him read the text. You know where I'm going. You're members of a body. It's what God says in multiple places. Multiple places in the New Testament. So we've been talking a lot about loving and serving one another. And you know this biblical metaphor that, that God has put in his word about the human body. So it, how, how beautifully complex it is. And of course, he's made this wonderful analogy. Brand's illustration in his book gra is graphic, and it relates, it relates to the ecclesia, right? It relates to the called out ones. It relates to this body of Christ. Disobedient, disloyal members of the body are always a threat to the ecclesia. You're right, this is the connection that I'm making. Malfunctioning nominal members engorge themselves, always taking, but never 
giving. These members are only here to get, only here to receive. They're bringing nothing to the body. They're in abject rebellion against the commands of God. They're bringing nothing to the body. They're just here to receive, just like that tumor that woman in Madras had. And an unhealthy member of the human body and also the church weakens, hinders, emaciates, impairs, and deforms what God means for the local body to be. So you get my point. You can't have a healthy church without healthy church members who are proactively and aggressively and always seeking for a way to serve the body. Always. You know, when you listen to what God has to say about this, and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about it, it's almost like, you know, we should be, every, every day we wake up, we ought to be thinking, how can I serve the body? If we, if we actually hear and believe what God has to say to us. So you get my point. And we've been holding the plumb line up the last three weeks or so that we might compare ourselves to the Word of God. Are we a healthy member of the church? Are we performing the function that I've been called to perform? Are we using our gifts? Are we bringing in the offering? Are we doing what God has called us to do? Or as we talked about last week, you know, to, to use the, uh, the famous apostate Joshua Harris's metaphor, are we dating the church or have we committed to the groom? You know, I got to tell you, I was raised Southern Baptist, so I know all about this. I know all about dating the church. I was an expert. I know all about it. It's a serious thing for us to consider, beloved. One point we've been making, and uh, Jesus is explicit about, is that real Christians, you know this, 1 John, they love one another. They love the brethren. So that's the first place to start, right? Are you a healthy member of the church? Do you love your, your brothers and your sisters? Do you love them? And do you love them so much, you're being poured out in the body, you're being poured out for them. Even as the Son was poured out for us. You know, He's our model here. It was all sacrificial, right? And, you know, as the text tells us, by, by the joy, for joy, He sacrificed Himself. Do you have joy in it? Do you have joy in serving the body of Christ? We don't love and serve with what? Merely word or tongue, but, well, you know the text, but in what? Deed and truth, 1 John 3, 18. So, from the New Testament perspective, it's always been hands-on, it's always been practical, it's always been pragmatic, it's always been helpful, it's always been concrete. People can see it, they can feel it, they can hear it, they can touch it. What you bring to the body. If you're a healthy member of the body of Christ. You know, we, 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 we used that Piper quote last week. I love that he used these words. He says, as far as God is concerned, this is all about authenticity and reality. 
authenticity with you loving and serving this body. The reality of you loving and serving this body. Right? I love that. Authenticity. Is it authentic? Is it authentic? And is there some reality to it? I'm talking about, you know, fleshly reality. Some reality to it. We heard, we, we, we heard that, that famous command, that new command of Jesus. What was the new command? You remember? What was it? What was the new command of Jesus to his, to his disciples and by extension to the body of Christ? What's the new command? That you love one another even as I've loved you, right? So this is all brand new. It's a new command. It's an impossible command. You can't do it, nor can I, lest we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and we've submitted ourselves to him and we're at work and we put our hands on it, right? We put our hands on the work. We're doing it. We're doing the work. We don't just come and receive. We, we're here to do the work. You know, you only have a few minutes. You only have a few moments and you're going to be with him. How are you going to invest it? Right? You're... Your membership is a stewardship. It's just like everything else in your life. It's a stewardship. What will be the accounting that you will give to the Lord regarding your stewardship? And so just by way of review, we picked up, we picked up there in Romans eleven thirty three. you know, that worship provoking First 11 chapters of Romans, and then, and then Paul breaks out into worship. He can't help it. He can't hold the doxology in, and he's, he's worshiping the Lord. And, and, we, and we made the point, God's our fuel. Now, if, you just, if you're just proud about being a Baptist, you'll burn out in about 60 days. But if you love God, if it's real, and there's awe, and there's wonder, if you really know Him, and the relationship is, is growing, and it's, it's, it's dynamic... Yeah, you'll be a healthy member in a, in a healthy church. I guarantee you, you'll be a healthy member. That's what we've been talking about. You know, Paul worships and then, bam, right into Romans 12, 1. What should you do then? If you really know this God and love this God and he's really saved you like this, then what should you do? Offer your lives up as a living sacrifice. For this is your spiritual, or as, as the King James, this is your reasonable Service of worship. God's the fuel. Theology, doxology, obedience, right? This is the formula. He, you know, he puts this amazing salvation in front of us, and then there's the therefore, right? <laughs> he, he, there it is in, in 12.1. Therefore, brethren, put your hands on it. Put your hands on it. Be a healthy member in the church. Be at work in the church. Give yourself away in the church. It's just so clear. And we'll continue to touch some of these texts. Romans 12, 2. Remember what he said? You've got to be in the Word, man. Because, you, listen, if you just wake up in the morning, you have really very little, unless you're just way different than me, you have very little desire to get up and serve anybody. Right? That just doesn't come natural to us. Not to me. Maybe you're, you know, way better. That's not my first thought in the morning unless I get into the Word. And then God is just hammering me, right? Serve, serve, serve. It's just, yeah, you can't run from it. You, you have to, your mind has to be transformed. We see it there in verse 2. We've got to be in the Word of God or we won't think like this. We won't live like this. 
if we're not in the Word of God. And we talked about this, and I'm going to talk to Brad more about humility in verse 3. Right? We talked a little bit about that. That every man among you not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Right? So those points... Those first two points kind of illustrate or bring us to, the, to, the, to that third point, right? If we've really seen God, humility happens. And if we've really been in the Word, humility happens. It's, it's interesting that this is Paul's first point to the body. Therefore, give yourself away in all humility, right? It's his first point. I think we need to see and understand that. So, Romans eleven thirty three 33 to 12, 3, the Holy Spirit has laid the groundwork for us. And then God says what? You are my body. And he, makes the analogy, he starts to make the analogy, which Paul repeats in numerous letters. So, I'll pick up here Romans 12, 4 and 5. Romans 12, 4 and 5. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For just... As we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members. I have too much writing and too many notes in my Bible. Individually members of one another. Okay, there we go. I'm going to have to erase some of the notes in my scriptures. It, it, it obscures some of the text sometimes. So Paul has bridged what? He's bridged awe and worship to loving the body. He's made this bridge to loving and serving the body. It's like a divine calculus. So who knows what calculus is? How many smart people do we have? I, don't, I had to look it up because some, some people, some of you guys are pretty smart, so you know. It's, um, it's higher mathematics dealing with rates of change. And I just love this analogy, right? I mean, this is what God's doing in us. There's this calculus always happening, right? It, he's always changing us as we look at Him, as we worship Him, and as we get into the Word. Change is happening. Change happens, right? He's always changing us. I love this analogy it will be happening. Change will be happening. It's, it's Jesus' calculus for us. I love what Piper says about this. John Piper, um, in being transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 2, uh, he, says, he says, in seeking the mind of Christ, Christians, listen, now listen, I want you to hear this. I think I may have shared, I don't remember if I shared this with you last week. Christians devote, that's a big word, Christians devote, their lives to being changed. Does that describe your life? You're not like one of those Southern Baptists that got saved when they were eight, and they haven't grown any since then. Nothing's changed. Absolutely nothing's changed. I know none of you guys are like that. You can't be indwelt by the third member of the Trinity and not have your life rocked continually because He is going to be at work, right? He's going, he's going to be at work in your life. 
So we see this calculus. There's awe, there's worship, there's transformation, there's humility. And then, oh yes, sacrifice in serving the body. And we talked a lot about it. You know, Romans 12, 1 had to be there. We were so full of awe as we finished, you know, the first 11 chapters of Romans. It had to be there. There was nowhere else to go. Of course we're going to worship. Of course we're going to offer our bodies up as a living sacrifice. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about the implications of this New Testament analogy or metaphor of the human body for the people of God, the ecclesia. And there is no, I think I told you this last week, there is no Old Testament equivalent here. What are the, what are the analogies used in the Old Testament to, des- to describe the people of God? You know what they are. A bride, a vineyard, and a flock. Well, this is brand new in the New Testament. It's brand new. The believer, the believer has a unique position in Christ. We are one in Christ. And the believer has a unique function in Christ. Position and function, we function as one in the body of Christ. It's a brand new analogy. I want you to turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul really drives this home. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to pick up in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, picking up in verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So there was one word you heard six times there. Anybody know what it is? One. And I got to tell you what happened here a couple years ago. This is a stench in the nostrils of God. I'm not going to replow that. God means for his body to be one, gathered around his truth full of awe and wonder and worship and love and service to one another. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Right? It's not complicated. You know, just do it. It's that Nike thing. You know, just do it. Just do it. Just do what, just do the word. As James reminds us. So we are one. Many members one body. It's one of, the things, one of the things Karen and I dearly loved about being in an international church for <coughs> almost 20 years. We had 96 nations come through. I looked it up yesterday. There are actually 195 nations recognized in the world. So we hit 49.2% of them. And, and it, it's one thing we just loved. We loved the diversity. We just, we absolutely loved it. It was a foretaste of heaven. All this diversity and, you know, all of these different denominations, all these different traditions. And you know what held us together? There was only one thing that held us together. I would tell people, you know, if you're going to come in here, you just need to leave your denominationalism at the door. Because all we do, we just do this. We do this. And I'm going to preach this. And if you can't see what I'm preaching, you come to me with this and we'll talk about it. I mean, it just worked. Yeah, there were people who always left, but they didn't want to hear the truth. But it just Work. So we are a diverse group, many members with many different functions. 
But we function like a human body. We function as one. Each member doing its God-ordained job. Some of you are not, can I just say, I'm just guessing. Some of you are not doing your God-ordained job. So, Jim, I don't know what it is. Well, let's just keep listening. Let's keep looking at the Word of God. So back to the physical human body. It's mysteriously complex. Scientists and doctors think they can explain functions to you. They have no clue. They can observe things, but what's driving it? What's driving all of this complexity? What's driving it? <clears throat> we know what's driving it. The body is tremendously diverse with individual parts, functions, but there, and I, I love this, there's an there's a necessary interrelatedness, just like the body of Christ. He's talking about the, I'm talking about the human body right now, but just like the body of Christ, there's a, there's a necessary interrelatedness, interconnectedness, and interdependency. Does that describe your, your relationship with this church? That's, that's the analogy. That's what God has commanded you to be if you call yourself a follower of Christ. There's no misunderstanding here. It's not complex. We know exactly what he's saying. We, we knew in John 13, love me like I've loved you. Well, you don't need any more explanation than that. How did he love us? All right. He bled out. He bled out for us. God says, you are an individual member of my body. You have an indispensable function in my body. Some of you don't think you, you do have that. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're supposed to serve that function in my body. God says it. In so many words. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12 real quick. I'm going to pick up here where I left off at verse 15. You guys know these famous verses. If the foot should say, because I, I am not a hand, uh, I am not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. Is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the, the hearing be? If the, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God did what? I want you to remember this verse. But, but now God has placed you, if you call yourself a member of the church, each one of them in the body, how? Tell me how. As he pleased, as he desired. <laughs> he doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> you know, he doesn't make mistakes. Verse 19, and if there were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 20, but now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much true that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Tell me, what are the weakest, those who seem to be weakest, what's, how does he describe them here? They're what? Necessary. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow 
more abundant honor. And the seemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. There is no unimportant member of the body of Christ. You know, I've met so many Christians over the years. It's like, I don't have anything to offer. Well, you just called God a liar. Verse 25. And there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you, and here's the text that Joe read, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God has sovereignly placed you here. You know, I, I, sometimes I hear Christians and they act like my life is meaningless. Your life can never be meaningless. You're in the body of Christ, right? I don't have anything to offer wrong. You do. You do. If we're going to believe the word of God, he's put you here as he desires. As he desires. And as verse 22 says, you're necessary. You're necessary. Beloved, this is, this is big. This is really big. It's really big. If we get this concept, if we'll obey God in this, You know, back to that fat cell. Could there be a less significant member of the body than a fat cell? I mean, billions are spent to try to rid ourselves of these rascals. But you remember the function of the fat cell? When the body needs nutrition, it releases its molecule. When the body needs it, it is there to serve its function, right? So obviously this is the plumb line sermon. You gotta, you, I'm just asking you, what's your function here? What's your function here? And I'm just calling you to obedience. I, I'm just reading the text. I'm calling you to obedience. What's your function here? Why has God put you here? And we remember what happens Within the body, when that, that one fat cell becomes disloyal, it's the beginning of malfunction, disorder, disease, deformity, and potentially death. When there's disloyalty in the membership. Am I comparing a nominal church member who is not functioning in the body as they should to cancer? Well, yes, I am. I think we can easily draw that analogy. We can easily do that. So do you see the clear message to each of us from Jesus Christ regarding His church? You are part of my body. I've sovereignly placed you here. You are necessary. And don't listen to Satan. And don't listen to your own, what's the word I want? Um, lack of confidence. God says, I put you here because you're necessary. 
Again, the implied exhortation is just do it. Just do what's in front of you. You Sometimes people say, well, Jim, I don't know what my gift is. You know how I found out I was a preacher? You'll never guess. You never guess how I found out I was a preacher. Somebody said, Jim, we're in a lurch. You need to step up. Will you do the sermon? Will you do the message? I said, yes, I'll do it. Of course, I was trembling, right? I was just like, yeah. And while I was preaching, God is saying in the back of my head, this is who I redeemed you to be. And as I was preaching, this, was, this conversation was going on in the back of my brain, right? My, my counsel to you is, you don't know what your gift is, you don't know what your function is. My counsel to you is roll up your sleeves and go to work and your gift will find you. Your gift will find you. <laughs> There's a great book. <laughs> it's pretty old now. Just Do Something, Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something. Um, and there's a story in here about this old man. Let, let me just read. <laughs> he died at 91, but he waited, he waited 70 years to find out what God's will was for him. We already know what God's will is. We already know what it is. And all he ever did was sit around the house and pray. He was just, you know, he was afraid he'd get God's will wrong, so he didn't do anything. Obviously, this is a grievous, a grievous error. So Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians 5.23, Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body. And I'm just going to ask you, are you being loyal to him? Are you being obedient to his call? Are you functioning in the body as he has called you to do? Are you serving the body that it might function as God has designed? This is our foundational call as Christians. This is Christianity 101. We said it last week. This is how Christianity, real Christianity, manifests itself in the world through the body of Christ. This is how it works. Again, there are no insignificant members. Again, Paul says, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker or less honorable are necessary and worthy of more honor. I think, and I tried to say it earlier, I think if we truly understand what God is saying, we would never stop aggressively looking for ways to serve the body. And it would just become almost second nature for us. I'm going to stand before him soon. I'm going to give an account. What's my stewardship in the body look like? What can I do? I'm going to call Lisa. And you know, Blackaby makes that great point. You know, it should be coming up from the body. The ministries of the church should be coming up from you, right? Should be, they should be originating com and coming up from you. And, you. and you talk to the elders about it, right? And we put a plan together that seems wise and good. So we understand this is a big deal with God. Let's turn over real quick, if you would, to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 you guys know this famous text, Matthew 25. I'll begin there, verse 31. Verse 31, in, in, in just summarizing, 
when Jesus comes in his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. Verse 33, he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he goes through this thing. And we understand, obviously, he's talking to believers. This is not some generic conversation with, with the world. This is, this is the church. He's talking to the church. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you, you uh, invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? Verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> How important your service is in the body of Christ. And how important it is to Jesus Christ himself. For when you serve the body, what does he say? You're doing it to me. You're loving me. You're serving me. You're giving yourself away to me. This is the way God has ordered things. This is what it's supposed to look like. For every true Christian. Can we imagine a least, maybe the least service one can imagine, giving a cup of water to someone? Of course, there's a whole lot of analogies, spiritual analogies we could throw on top of this, but I'm not going to, to go there. Jesus says, to the lowest brother you can find. And when you serve him, you have done it unto me. I just think it's powerful. I think it's powerful beyond description. I don't think we think enough about it. I don't think it's that real to us. Hey, man, I, you know, it's one reason I like being a preacher. I'm sitting behind my desk this week and I'm getting convicted. I've got work to do. I've got a lot of work to do. This is the downside to being a preacher, right, Brad? You're always reminded of all the work you've got to do, right? And how far you have to go. So, yeah, I'm getting preached at myself. Um, so this is the Bema Seat thing. You guys know 2 Corinthians 5.10. God says every Christian must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each might, you know, be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It's the Bema Seat. We're all supposed to be pointing at the Bema Seat because we will give an accounting. Each one of us will give an accounting. Now, I often thought if there is such a thing and some of the more learned people in the congregation may come, and came up, come up and correct me. But I often wondered if there was such a thing as shock and regret in heaven, it would be here. It would be at the Bema Seat. And I think we'll be shocked that it, the first really are last and the last really are first. And I know there's a whole other meaning to that, but the, but the way I think about it is that MacArthur's not going to be up there and Piper's not going to be up there. 
you know? It's going to be some anonymous person who wholly gave herself away to the body in, in a thousand anonymous ways, right? I just, maybe I'm wrong, but that sometimes I think about it like that. The last will be first. And sometimes I think the regret, there may be regret, which would be, why didn't I love the body the way I knew I should have? Because we know this. this again, this is not hard to understand. This is not hard to understand. So how big a deal is the oneness of the body with God? Members rightly relating to one another. We mentioned it last week, but I'm going to mention it again. You guys know Matthew 5, 23 to 24. If you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Anybody remember? What are you supposed to do? Stop worshiping me. I'm not interested until you get right with the body. I mean, this is so black and white. And it, it, and it tends to become it, just, it tends to become gray and it, it tends to become background music to us. Right. But if you got a problem with your brother or your brother has a problem with you, stop. Worshiping me. And go make it right. With. Your brother. So how far should all this go in a practical sense? Well, Paul gives us a hint. Right. Paul gives us an indication. Um. It gives us a signpost here. It goes, at, it goes at least as far as 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, where Paul is rebuking the Corinthians for suing one another in secular courts. And I think I mentioned it last week. Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not be defrauded? That's how far we go. That's how far it works out in, in practical matters, right? If I'm utterly wronged and, and utterly defrauded, it doesn't matter to me. I'm doing it because I love him, because I think I should obey him, because I think it means something when he speaks. I'm really not sure how God could have made the point more clearly. So, when we read God's word regarding our obligations and commanded interactions with the ecclesia, some of us, and I'm just guessing, all I, know, all I know is how convicted I got, okay? <laughs> Maybe you're not convicted. Maybe you're doing it just right. Maybe the Lord's just going to pat you on the head. Um, but don't you, Brad, Brad and I talked about it. Brad mentioned it. You know, don't you want to hear that well done? Don't you want to hear that? Well done. Good and faithful <coughs> servant. But I likely realize that God means for us, some of us, to take our Christianity a bit more serious than we ever have before. Now, whenever I preach about the body, that's where I always end up. I realize that I have miles to go. And I have a lot of work to do. Don't you know it's a stench in God's nostrils that millions of, of so-called professed Christians show up for church and they've checked their box for the week and that's the last time they think about it. I showed up. I went to church. I'm sure God's pleased. No, he's not pleased that that's the end of it for you. 
You're supposed to love and serve the body. You're supposed to love and serve the body, even when it's costly, even when it's expensive, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's awkward, even when it's hard, even, even if you must be wronged, and even if you must be defrauded. This is big stuff. It's big. It's just big. I get so convicted. I'm so convicted. Um, God says, give yourself away in loving and serving my body. It's what Jesus has called us to. It's what real Christianity has always looked like. It's the priority of a healthy church member in a healthy church. And on the last day, King Jesus will say to those faithful ones, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. This is the word of God. Let's pray.